So our scripture this morning comes at the very end of the Gospel of Luke. It's chapter 24, and we're starting at verse 50 and reading through 53, the very end. So Luke 24, verse 50. When he, Jesus, had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they, the disciples, worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On the last Sunday of my summer internship, which was at Westmount CRC in Strathroy, I was going over the details before the worship service with the elders. And one of the elders, Willie, she asked me, my last Sunday, when you give the blessing at the end of the service, will you raise your hands just a little bit? Because up until then, I had like any good student of Kelvin Theological Seminary, I'm pointing at Rebecca, who is a current uh, student at Kelvin Theological Seminary, I refrained from raising my hands to give the blessing because I wasn't ordained. I was a student intern on a 10-week placement in the middle of my seminary training. And, and raising hands in blessing is one of the official acts of ministry reserved for ordained ministers of the word. And so I kept my hands down. I held the Bible and I pronounced God's blessing straight from scripture hands firmly here. I had spent 10 weeks with this particular congregation. It was a precious time. It was one of the first places where people called me Pastor Amanda, um, and so they will always have a special place in my heart. And they did even then. I was the first woman to serve this congregation in any capacity. And they were a church that had experienced a very toxic split in the 1990s over their support of women in office. And I knew how much the support of women's ministry meant to them, and I knew how much it had cost them. And so when Willie asked me, she, she was seeing me as her pastor, wanting to see that moment where hands were raised and the blessing at the end of the service. And I understood why she asked, and I so badly wanted to say yes. But this act of ministry, of, of hands raised in blessing, it wasn't mine yet. And I had too much respect for what this ministry is, what this office is, to pretend otherwise. Now this situation might sound hopelessly anachronistic for our democratized and non-hierarchical modern sensibilities. What difference does it make where the minister's hands are 
or non-ministers' hands are. Where's the line? Is it hip height? Is it shoulder height? Is it over the head? What is okay and what is right? And, and for all the things we're facing as the church, difficult conversations on issues of sexuality, a, a culture around us that just has less and less time for religious folks like us, isn't it a dumb little thing to argue about? Or to get hung up on? Isn't it just a sign of all the things that are wrong with the church and that contributes to our growing irrelevancy? I mean, what difference can hands raised in blessing possibly make? Today we mark the ascension of Jesus. And while our reformed tradition and and the Dutch roots of our church culture used to highly honor this moment in the life of Jesus and the life of the church, it's kind of fallen out of fashion, more or less. We did not gather for a special Thursday evening service on Ascension Day. We are marking it, but we tend to be more inclined to skip straight from Easter and Resurrection to Pentecost in the Spirit and kind of leave this whole thing of Jesus departing just kind of out of it. Because part of us doesn't quite know what to do with this kind of embarrassing image or picture of Jesus' feet dangling from a cloud. It can be a little cringe. For all of our supernatural beliefs that we do in fact hold, Jesus disappearing up there can strike many of us as foolish. And Jesus departing the scene feels significantly less momentous than God raising his son from the dead or Jesus sending the spirit with wind and fire to help a community change the world. Both of these events, resurrection and Pentecost, they they stir us to action. They give us a vision of the power of God to affect change in our world. While kind of this story, watching Jesus kind of peace out, just doesn't really have that momentous kind of feeling. In fact, Luke, it's not just us that don't really talk about the departure of Jesus. Luke is the only gospel writer to actually make space in his gospel for this explicit moment. In fact, he does it twice here at the end of his gospel, and then in Acts, in the opening chapter, he talks about it again. But the other gospel writers don't. Matthew gives us, it's kind of implied, he has Jesus' final words, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. I will be with you until the end of the age. Mark leaves us in that really intense cliffhanger of terrified women fleeing the reality of the empty tomb. And John, as a gospel writer, does whatever John does and goes his own way. And any language of Jesus being raised up or lifted up, he conflates with the cross, not with clouds. But Luke chooses to end his story this way. With this moment, this small, tiny, wordless moment, with absence and goodbyes, with no words and 
just kind of one central action. With hands, hands raised in blessing. And the wordlessness of the scene, Luke loves dialogue. Luke loves to tell what people are saying and what Jesus has said. And here, we just see the actions happening. No words to accompany it. And it emphasizes, it keeps our focus on what we're seeing. Jesus lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. No wonder we want to rush on to Pentecost. (laughs) But if we stay here, if we keep our focus here, I think there is richness to be seen. Because for one, Luke ends his gospel here, but I think he has the hope that we're reminded of another scene in his gospel where Jesus takes disciples up a mountainside to pray. Back in chapter 9, Jesus, Luke tells us, takes Peter, John, and James, and I'm starting 9 verse 28. Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountainside to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. And we might remember this image, right, of Peter all of a sudden needing to like figure out, hey, Jesus, can we put up tents for you, Moses and Elijah? We might not remember what they were talking about. What did Moses and Elijah in this incredible moment appear to talk to Jesus about? Verse 31. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah appearing in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus about his departure. And we tend to only come to this transfiguration story kind of in terms of Lent, things like that, when we're kind of gearing up for Jesus' death and resurrection. And, and that really puts the focus on, on the cross, So we often preach this as if Moses and Elijah are only talking about the cross, about Jesus' upcoming death in Jerusalem. And and that's okay. The the word here translated departure in ours is the Greek word for exodus. And, And what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection is indeed our new exodus. To free all of us from the slavery of sin and death and darkness to bring us into his kingdom of light and hope and life. But that departure also refers to this moment at the end of the gospel, to Jesus' departure, to this goodbye and to this moment. And the idea of Moses and Elijah being the ones to talk with Jesus about his departure, what, what can we learn from that? 
What insight might that give to this wordless scene of leaving? Moses, the lawgiver, the leader of the Exodus, at the end of his life, he's on the edge of the promised land. He has led God's people out of the wilderness to the very edge of what God has promised. And all the tribes of God's people are gathered. And Moses is on a mountain and he raises his hands and blesses the people of God. At this moment when something new is about to begin that he can't see. And not only does he call the tribes together to give them a blessing, to remind them of God's never-failing presence with them, at the same time, he blesses Joshua. And Joshua is a leader that God has raised up to follow in his place, to lead God's people. And so you have this combination of a moment of transition, of, of Moses blessing God's people, as well as God raising up those who will carry on the work. And then there's Elijah, a prophet of God who strongly spoke the word of God both to God's people and to God's enemies. He did miraculous signs and wonders in the name of the Lord of Israel. And at the end of his life, if you recall from Sunday school, Elijah was taken up into heaven. It was a sign of favor, of, of closeness to God, but also of Elijah's righteousness. Chariots of fire came and took Elijah to heaven and separated him from his disciple, Elisha. And after Elijah was taken up into heaven, God raised up Elisha to carry on his prophetic work. So Moses and Elijah gathering around Jesus to talk about his departure, to talk about this moment that ends Luke's gospel. They're forerunners. They're pointers to this moment, to this departure, to this transition where the Son of God, after leading his people out of slavery, out of bondage, into liberation, into freedom, stood before the gathered disciples, raises his hands in blessing, and then is taken up into heaven, a sign of favor, of the righteousness of Jesus. And as Elijah was separated from his disciple, Jesus is separated from his But like with Moses and Elijah at their moments of departure, God raised up those who would carry on the work. Joshua followed Moses. Elisha followed Elijah. And the disciples gathered here on this mountainside follow Jesus. Carrying on his ministry from Jerusalem, just as he instructs them, to Judea, and to the very ends of the earth. What difference can hands raised in blessing possibly make?
last week Friday, last week Friday was a national day of prayer and fasting for Christians in India. There was a call to pray for the nation, there was a call to pray for the people, there was a call to pray for a swift end to the COVID crisis, there was a call to pray for the government to do better by its people. There was a call to pray for churches and Christians throughout the country to live in tangible ways the love of Jesus in the middle of the darkest time their nation has seen. And as they were called to pray, there also came stories of how they were acting out their prayers. In addition to stories of Christians opening up church kitchens and seminary kitchens to make food for those who couldn't feed themselves, extending care to those suffering in their neighborhoods, I was most struck by one group of Christians who are tending to the dead. The most common image, at least that I've seen, and maybe this is the same for you as you watch the news, the most common images to come out of the COVID crisis in India right now are images of acres and acres of, of buried bodies, of, of funeral pyres. In, in a predominantly Hindu culture where funeral rituals can mean the difference between having your soul released from a released from continual cycle of life, funeral rituals mean everything in that religious context. But in the face of bodies stacking up and in the face of crematoriums overrun, people are abandoning their dead. There are stories of family members leaving their dead at the door of crematorium and running away. There's just too much death, too many bodies, not enough capacity or resources to take care of them all. and so much fear of sickness. So into that is a group called Mercy Angels, who are helping to bury and provide dignified funerals for those who have died due to COVID. At no cost to the families, because along with the pandemic comes financial woes and a lack of resources and the shame of not having enough to bury their family members properly. Anne is a Christian worker with Mercy Angels, and she said that right now, we work for 20 to 22 hours in a day. My mind has actually become numb, she said. We are all physically and mentally exhausted, but we are pushing ourselves every day. You might, you might wonder uh, why <laughs> for the bodies of the dead. Why are they exhausting themselves in this way, this group of Christians? Another worker explained why they labor so long and so hard this way. Helping people of all faiths or no faith in cremation is a Christian duty to show the love of Christ in action to all especially to those in grief, and especially in this atmosphere of fear 
To give a body a decent funeral or cremation, it is to love your neighbor even after your neighbor has passed away. These sisters and brothers in Christ do not just leave their faith at words and prayers, but they are doing what the disciples on the hill in Bethany were blessed by Jesus to do. To carry on the work and ministry of Jesus to the very ends of the earth. And these brothers and sisters in Christ, these followers of Jesus, they were able to do this and are currently able to do this. Even the darkest times that they have seen. Because they know and take to heart the encouragement, the promise of God's never-failing presence with them in Jesus Christ. You can hear this in how one of the group leaders opened their virtual prayer gathering. They reminded those gathered that in Scripture, we are reminded that God will never leave us nor forsake us. We are exhorted not to be afraid nor discouraged. We remain people of hope. So let us at this time not only pray for our nation, but also reach out in the love of Christ and in compassion to help our fellow citizens. Not just Christians, but fellow citizens. Even more than we are already doing. For they say the love of God, the love of God dispels all fear. What difference can hands raised in blessing possibly make? We end every worship service with hands raised high and a benediction and a parting blessing from our God to God's people. And whether it is an ordained minister with hands firmly up or a young seminary intern holding their Bible in hand, it's our Lord Jesus who blesses the church with words of encouragement and promise, with words of sending and hope. Our Lord Jesus raises his hands in blessing outside a little village near Bethany, in the streets and the crematoriums of New Delhi, and in the neighborhoods and homes of those of us who belong to this part of the body of Christ here in Waterloo Region. And where, and where Jesus raises his hands in blessing, prayers turn into action. Fears turn into love. And despair can be turned into hope even in the darkest of times. What difference can hands raised in blessing possibly make in the world we live in now? When it comes to the hands of Jesus, it makes 
all the difference in the world. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you raise your hands of blessing over us. And sometimes it is easier to feel your presence than other times. But your hands remain over us, blessing us, promising your presence with us. So whether we are like the disciples in a moment of great joy or we at our darkest time, may we know the difference of hands raised in blessing, of your hands, which still bear the scars of your crucifixion, hands like ours, in blessing grace and mercy over us. Amen.